0: What's up everybody, this is Storm Batiste, and this is B.A., and welcome back to another episode of Made Man Podcast, bringing you everything that we think every man should know, no matter if you're white, black, skinny, or fat. These are the facts and everything that we think every man of the 21st century should know about savings, investing, dating, everything else Awesome, so everybody, uh, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Made Man Podcast. Welcome. Um, I got a lot of energy today. I got a lot of energy today. Why is that? Man, you know what? I have a lot of energy. I mean, it's a lot of stuff right now in the world that, um, you know, can make me feel negative about a lot of things, make me feel down. But I'm choosing to be positive and to feel really energetic. First of all, I want to start off by saying thank you beautiful black and brown women i love you i appreciate you you are appreciated um that's aunties that's sisters that's grandmas that's everybody like we appreciate what you do we love you um and that's everybody that's listening to the podcast so i just wanted to start off with that kind of energy letting y'all know that you are highly appreciated and that this episode is for you to you know get off whatever in your chest that you have we're going to cover some really really interesting stuff but before we do that, let's go ahead and introduce our guests that we have today. Y'all can start with whoever would like to start
1: first. All right. Uh, thank you. Um, so my name is Candace Anderson Amy. Um, I am from uh, suburbs of Indiana, uh, but now I'm in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> um, I am also a Ph.D. student uh, at UW-Madison up here. Uh, studying education, you know, and blackness, basically. So I'm just here, and I'm excited to be here. Um, yes, that's all I'm going to say. I'm excited to be here.
2: Okay, <laughs> so I'm Kadyuska Herond. I am an educator. I just recently finished my second master's as well as turned 30. Um, so hey, okay, happy to be okay. happy, happy I made it, it. Um, but also <laughs> happy to be on the podcast today.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Wait, and where are you from again?
2: Oh, New York, all day.
0: Hey, born and raised. <laughs> what part of New York?
2: I'm from Queens. Anybody who hates.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, why we got to hate old Queens? I love people from Queens.
3: You got good taste. Hello, I'm Felicia Santiago. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I currently live in Queens. Hello, hello. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and um, I. Do a lot of social justice work in different areas, whether it is uh, working in incarceration facilities uh, or starting a nonprofit with um, in connection with the CDC about gun violence, and um, and do other things. So,
4: cool, cool. Well, it's it's basically we got an all star. Um, Group of people in here today. Uh, Oh my god! Yes, you uh, had them go through educators, uh, PhD students, um, social social justice like advocates for real. Like so, this will be an interesting episode. And um, you know, like like Storm said in the beginning, like we have some really really interesting questions that we would appreciate your perspective on, especially as Black women. We just want to uh, provide the space for you all to you know, talk more about your experience and also just talk about, you know, we, we have we're gonna cover it, but just what is like protecting black women mean or what does protecting women mean? It has that more of an action item rather than just like a repost on Instagram. So <laughs> before we get into that, um, I'm gonna pass it back over to Storm and we're gonna go through our polls. Cool. So
0: yeah I like to do this poll just because it does uh, it makes a lot of people feel included. And plus, it's just really a good icebreaker to get everybody just kind of relaxed a little bit. I don't know if y'all been on the podcast before, but it's completely low pressure on here. So I hope everybody's relaxed. I don't know if y'all drinking, but uh, maybe, man, we usually like to have a little cup of something before we get started. So I'm drinking a little whiskey. It's, uh, it's a Monday night, but I'm drinking a little whiskey. So I'm not I'm not upset about that at all. So I'm going to run through this poll really quick. So the poll question and let me know if y'all need me to repeat it. But the poll is uh, there's always that one person that is an exception to the rule. So it's either yes or no, and then just give me, like, a reason why.
3: Um,
2: I think it depends. I think there's, like, still further context to be developed in those scenarios. So it's, like, certain things, like, let's think about, like, that invisible checklist. The, do you got a job? Do you have kids? Ever been to prison? You know, like, this is really... Contrive yeah. that we come up with that varies from woman to woman, um, but like that stuff always feels like very topical. It's something that we put a lot of weight and emphasis on, but to me, it's still very topical. But I feel like, so I guess in those ways, it's like, yeah, there's always an exception. There's always that one guy that got two kids, and I wasn't planning on messing around with him. <laughs> you know, that one guy, he don't drive, but he's cute, so I'll do it, you know, <laughs> like exceptions in that way. But there are things about me like my political stances, my code of ethics, my sense of morality that, like, there would never be an exception on. Like, you can never be homophobic. You can never be transphobic. You can never be racist. Like, there is no exception to those So there's
0: definitely deal breakers for sure. Oh, absolutely. No matter what. Cool, cool, cool.
1: I will will parrot that, because I wasn't sure whether I was going to go the negative way or the positive way, you know? but definitely, there are things that you just cannot go cannot um they're the deal breakers, right? But I think there's also like the exception to the rule like that's a good thing, like I married my exception to my rule, like <laughs> you know like um, and I won't even go into too much detail, but you know, like when you get that really good connection and you just vibe and like things go a little bit faster before wow, yeah. it to go, you know there's an exception. To your timeline, sometimes yeah, he was an exception to my timeline. So
4: that's, <laughs> that's we're gonna leave it at that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Shout out to that king. I know him personally. That's one of my best friends. So yeah, he he's definitely an exception. Like, don't be mad about it. I'm glad you. I'm glad y'all together. I was there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I <promise. laughs> can you repeat the question, just so I can answer it concisely?
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, there's always that one person that's an exception to the rule.
3: I don't think it's just one. I think it's multiple. I think, that, <laughs> I think that just because of the way that the journey is, we think we have an expectation of what we want. And then I think the whole purpose of dating is to figure out what that fit is for you. So then you start adding things onto your list. You start taking things off your list. And for example, I think some of those things are flexible. Like, all right, maybe I don't particularly like sarc- sarcasm, but on someone, I understand it and we can connect through that on someone else it just looks like you're being an asshole. Mm. You know, so I think it's those rules, some of them are flexible and then the deal breakers are things that are values and those things are the ones that'll keep them together. That's what makes um, turns a passionate relationship into a companionate relationship if we're looking at um, the different forms of love.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Be is there an exception to the rule or we all they gotta they gotta match off every checkbox.
4: Um you know, I think as a guy, uh, it's a little bit different maybe because I think like, we're, we're like into the physical most of the time. So, like, that's what gets our attention initially. And then, like, I guess if we start to like you later on, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah this, is, this is nice. But um, exception to the rules, like, no, I mean, how, how can I put it? I think that I don't really have any exceptions to the rule. Like, I, I think that, you know, I have preferences. Um, I prefer uh, black women. I prefer uh, women with natural hair. Like, I have preferences, but um, as far as, like, value system, I would have to agree with everybody else. Like, I think that there are some non-negotiables around that. Like, you know, um, you know believing in a higher power, and a higher power is God, you know. Um, just being like ed- uh, educated, like being able to have intellectual conversations, like just to help stimulate my mind, provided me with perspective. Um, just really like things that, you know, really help me help me help help us both grow within a relationship. So I think like it's it just come more so from the values and morals perspective. Those are the non-negotiables. But I think with a man, it's usually the non-negotiables are probably around physical appearance for the most part. And I'm just saying, generally speaking, I know it's not like that for every group, but I think that, you know, it's more so like morals and values. Like those are things that, you know, I think those are non-negotiables. But, you know, that's just me.
0: I got you. I'm going to go with, yes, there's an exception. Everybody is an exception to the rules because, in my opinion, nobody is going to ever match off every, like, item on the checklist ever, no matter who it is. Like, maybe to a degree, they might have potential to do that. But I learned a long time ago, you don't change people. People don't want to change. Like, you can't make them change unless they want to. So, yeah, everybody's an exception to the rule, in my opinion. So if somebody asks me, is there an exception? Yes. Everybody I've ever dated in my life has been an exception to the rule. I used to have an impossible checklist or or system of checkboxes that I wanted them to fill off. And I was like, damn, I can't find, like, she's doing this, but she don't have this. So, like, damn, she has this, but she don't have this, like. Like who am I? Who am I looking for? And the truth is that person doesn't exist because nobody's ever gonna match off every checkbox. And so yeah, there's definitely exceptions to the rule. I don't know. Uh, in terms of what everybody else, huh? Oh,
4: I don't know. I don't know about all that. Like I, I just think that you know I, maybe it's just me. Like I personally have never had like a checklist. I think I just learned through experience for the most part. Like I'm able to figure out like what I want in a woman through different women that through different types of women that I'm with.
0: I mean, you just said physical attraction,
4: that's a, check, that's a checkbox. Awesome. Like, that's the part of the list.
3: So could you possibly mean that there's a difference between a checklist versus standards, right? Because uh, like the standards are, this is what the basics and the foundation needs to be in a relationship as opposed to a checklist. Then that might be specific for a person. So it's like these are standards that I have in a relationship as opposed to a checklist might be. These are things that I look for in a person. And I think those two things are not necessarily interchangeable. However, I can see how they may overlap for some people.
2: I think that they definitely inform one another. They like,
3: absolutely I
2: would assume that whatever is on your checklist would have to exist in your standards, otherwise i like, why is it being applied? So I definitely feel like they inform. And I think maybe it's just like a matter of just jargon at the moment, right? Like yeah. we're getting into like semantics of like, is it a checklist or is it this, or is it like just a matter of a culmination of experiences? Um, like you know, like, I'm not literally walking around with a. It's not in my notes, you know, in my application on my yeah. phone, and I'm literally like going a day. I, right, I'm gonna get these three bullets off because he doesn't. You did got it, the note but,
0: What you mean? You know, like,
2: it's not doing that. Uh, but I think it just. I think I think we're all envisioning the same thing, but we're just like calling it something differently potentially. But I guess yeah. To me, it just really just right. sounds, it does sound like standards. Just like
4: yeah. standards
2: are like needs like this is just this is what you need from someone this is what you need from a relationship whether it's platonic or romantic like we have the checklist for all of our interactions you know i have needs from my boss you know like i have needs from my students that i teach um so just like yeah i think it's just a matter of like cuz if not then you're just kind of shadow boxing
0: cool like, so the the way that the poll was set up it said that 67% of people said yes and then 33% of people said no So most people is like, yeah, it's definitely an exception to the rule. Hmm. Everybody got their own thing. That's just what the majority, I think it was something around like 40, 45 people each way that went. So, I mean, I guess that's just something to think about. Hmm. Um, Let's roll into the quote of the day. So this quote, I really, really, really like this quote. So it says, merely by describing yourself as black, you have started on a road towards emancipation. You have committed yourself to a fight against all forces that seek to use your blackness as a stamp that marks you out as a subservient being?
3: All right, so like I was having a conversation with Candace the other day. She's my best friend, hey, shout out. And And so the discussion was, and she's asked me this before in our friendship, like, do I consider myself black? And for a while, I've always been trepidatious to answer that question because I've always taken it off of who the other people were in the room. Like, will they allow me to say that? And so it's like, so at the end of, by the time that conversation was done, it was like, okay, no, you're right. I do have to say it regardless of who's around and regardless of what their opinion is of it because you can't please everybody and I'm not out here to please everybody. So it was very freeing to say, yes, I do identify as black, even though you know, in school, in the third grade, my black teacher Ms. Johnson, shout out Ms. Johnson, told me that um, I can't consider myself black. So when I came in with a report on an Afro-Latino to school for um, for Black History Month, she was like, "This doesn't qualify. Do it over again. You're not black. Like these people aren't black." And so, like even since then, and I'm just like, "This black woman is telling me that I'm not black. So I guess I'm not." And then in another context someone was just like, yeah, you know, like, uh, my, my boss, we always had conversations about anything and everything under the sun. He said, yeah, I consider everybody that's not white, black, like, yo, you Asian, yo, you my brother. Like we're all in this struggle together. And so you're black. And so in that context, I was like, yeah, sure. Like I, I I feel free and liberated now to say what it is that I feel like, not in a Rachel Dozo type of way, you know, because that's not a thing. um, but in a way that I know what my diaspora is and I can claim that. And from there, I'm no longer under the guise of how do I please someone who does not identify the way that I identify who may have been whitewashed with the notion of what is blackness. Um, so yeah, that's that's how that quote resonates with me.
0: Appreciate you, sir.
1: Now I wanna actually uh, jump on, off of that as well. Um, remember in that conversation, we were talking about um, blackness being a, a location in society as well as the culture that we are a part of, um, that I am a part of, that I am connected to, the community I'm connected to. Um, and that blackness, well, in, in, the, in the relation to that quote, it's saying that once you claim blackness, you are already on the road, towards a process, towards a liberation. It is stating a truth and a reality and an experience that then calls for it to be rectified, like calls for us to remember that being black um, relates to having this, uh, this history of extreme oppression. Being black means that people can look at you and decide that you are not worthy of living, like being black, means so many things so that experience both beautiful and terrifying like calls into action like just in its being
2: think about what uh candace just said when you sent over kind of the questions that we would be going through today and that was the first one and thinking about what my answer was going to be to it and thinking that immediately i just felt like being black and identifying as black is a very active identity. Like you are very actively aware of yourself. It is something that you like live and experience in a very vivid way on a daily basis. Um, and so, just thinking about that—that that just, it is just—it is—it is also felt like a responsibility to me to be black. Like this is heavy responsibility that I had to myself, that I had to the community, that I had to people that I knew and people that I didn't know, um, that I had to like my responsibility of carrying the legacy of representing everyone at every moment. Um, just, it just feels so active. Like, I don't know, like I feel like there are some other identities that you, they really can lie dormant, like certain parts of your identity can lie dormant. And I just feel like blackness, like that part of your identity is never dormant. It is like the most hyperactive thing because it's not only how you are grappling with it, but it's the fact that like the world is, very obsessed with having you react to it and placing things in your way as a reaction to your blackness and so mm-hmm. it just it just feels like it is thinking about like intersectionality how everything about who we are is interweaving with one another and it, it all seems to hit at some point and it feels like blackness is like at the center of it all like everything mm-hmm. always comes through that as well um and so Yeah, I think that really rang true and really more so as Candace was highlighting, like that latter part of like what comes with it, that it is a very active experience, that there are a lot of things to unpack, that there are a lot of responsibilities and roles that you then just kind of naturally inherit.
4: Um, So, all all good, Reeve. Thank you for each of y'all for sharing that. And... um, I think that what I kind of took away from this quote was um, it it seems like I was like I was I was so empowered. And I'm thankful for the way my parents raised me. I think that I was so empowered at an early age. And this is something that I was thinking about uh, throughout last week. So um, my parents always like did this thing as far as like making sure that I had the knowledge of you know, where I came from and just where my people came from, like, you know, always at an early age, just tell it be like whatever they're tell telling you in social studies class, like, it's not true that like you didn't start off as a slave in this country. Some of your ancestors may be slaves, but, um, you know, like you're not, you're not just, your lineage does not start with slavery. And um, I think that my parents also taught me things around like something called the um, black value system, and it was a part of the church that I went to and just like, you know, how to uh, give, how to build your community and how to give back into, into your community and also how to be empowered by your blackness. And then I was looking at these poems that I had to learn growing up because of the different types of uh, groups that I was a part of. And like, I was a part of this uh, church group called uh, Isutu, which, def- which is why he for uh, coming into manhood, right? And this was specifically for uh, young black men. And um, from ages like eight to like 18. And um, I was in that program uh, since then. And like the, the poems that, the, the poem that I would have to learn and I was just looking at it and some of the pieces were like, uh, you know, we are we are sons in the African diaspora, descendants of kings and queens, farmers and builders, the inheritors of a golden past and an limited future. And like, you know, this is stuff that I was just saying, like when I was younger and I hated learning it but the way it just resonates with me now and how you know, it connects with my blackness. And then when I was in high school, I had to learn another creed because I went to an all-boy, um, all-male all, all uh, African-American high school. And um, I had to learn a creed just to talk about what my beliefs are, what my belief system should be. And A piece of that was just, uh, we will not falter in the face of any obstacle placed before us. We are dedicated, committed, and focused. We will never succumb to mediocrity, uncertainty, or fear or fear. We never fail because we never give up. We make no excuses. So it's just like, it seems like I was made just to be, you know, I guess I'm not made to be black. I don't want to put it like that, but it was like, I, was, I mean, you were <laughs> I was just made to just, you know, really embrace who I am. So it's never been a question of like, you know, emancipation. It was just like, how are you going to not only empower yourself, but also just your community? How are you going to build those up around you? So, I mean, the quote definitely resonates with me, but in a slightly different way, because it's just like my blackness has always been something that I was told to embrace and something that I should never, you know, look at as a negative. Like, yes, it's a lot of responsibility that may come with it, but look at your lineage. Like, why wouldn't it be like so much responsibility that comes with who you are and where you come from? Got
0: you. Um, the way I look at the quote and what I took away from it is that um, and I'm sure you all heard this before, but like just being born black is like already <laughs> part of the struggle. Like, just being black, being born black, you automatically know that you're gonna have to work three times as hard. <laughs> you know, everything that you want, like, you're gonna have to take because it's not gonna be given to you. Even some black people that are more privileged than others, like, you still at some point in your life, you're gonna have to work and put in extra work more so than that counterpart that doesn't necessarily look like you. Or uh, you might even be smarter than, like, you're still gonna have to work. And so, That's kind of what I'm taking away from it. Um, It doesn't get easier just being born into the struggle, quote unquote. Like it's not we don't have any privilege. It's not equal across the board. We are in a country that we just brought to. um, And so everything you do, you really have to do it as if like your life depends on it. If you really want to move forward in it. And unfortunately, that's not what you would call, quote unquote, fair. But that is the way that things are. And it's because of your blackness, it's because of your skin that you are always going to be looked at as subservient or, you know, lesser than somebody else. And it's like the darker you are, the, the lesser you are. And unfortunately, that does suck. But I mean, that's that's kind of what I gather from the quote. And I hate it, but it's, it's true. And I feel like all of us, like, you know how they used to say, oh, yeah, black people got an extra ligament in their legs so they can, you know, jump higher. Or, like, black people can rap and, like, all that stuff. Like, they say black people are, are more resilient than white people, like, stronger and everything like that. Well, hell, yeah, we are. Like, you know, not in that context, but, yes, we are. We were born into this shit. Like, our surroundings have created us into these stronger beings that we have no choice but to be if we want to move forward. Like, that is the only option that we have. So, yeah, hell yeah. We're stronger than a lot, of other, a lot of other people. And it's not by choice. It's by the fact that we were just simply born a certain color, that we have to create this resilience. We have to create this extra strength and work three times harder. So, yeah, that's what I took away from the quote. And it doesn't get easier. And hopefully it changes in this lifetime. I uh, probably won't, but hopefully our kids can experience something a little bit better than what we did, just like our great-grandfathers and ancestors fought for us to experience what they could, right? So um I appreciate y'all sharing y'all's thoughts on the quote, uh really insightful, which I'm not surprised. I knew it was gonna be. We have some really uh some some intellectuals here on the podcast. So I'm excited on what you know kind of perspective y'all are gonna be able to give me uh for some of the stuff that we're gonna cover. So let's let's go ahead and dive into the topic um first off though before we get started just so people have an idea we do want to cover you know what that struggle is um of a black woman or somebody identifying as Latina, right um obviously you ain't white so even if you're struggling as bad as the next person you still got struggle and i want to unpack that a little bit i want to i want to get into that what that looks like and what's special about each one of you guys is that everybody has their own unique uh, walk a life that they went through to get up to this point and so I want all of that to come out here on this podcast today so let's go ahead and get this uh, topic underway Bia, you want to take away the first question?
4: Of course, so um, just to pop it off um, so I think we kind of touched on this already but if you all could kind of sum up just what does being black mean to you?
2: Jump into the double dutch, alright yeah, um, do so think about what well, thinking before, right, of, like, what I had kind of touched on, like, being Black feels, it, it tells me who I am, uh, both in a very, like, present in the state of now kind of way, and thinking historically of who I am. Um, it, again, feels like the center of all these intersections. It often feels like this explanation Uh, Like when I consider the successes and what those have been like, and when I consider the traumas and the different forms of oppression that I feel that I've had to combat and will continue to combat. um, It feels like an explanation for that. It, it's, it feels political. Mm -hmm. It feels deeply political. Mm -hmm. Uh, More so now probably, you know, and I, I can't speak because this is the only existence for myself, but thinking of it just, I'm sure it's always felt political, um, but just thinking right now, 2020, what we're enduring, uh, the series of pandemics that people in our community are combating at the moment, like it just, it feels very political. Um, it, in the same ways that it, and not limiting, the, that word comes to mind, but I think that's a very like, that's the part of a taught narrative that we're given, into um, like just only see the struggle and the yeah. need to persevere, um, and not like seeing the beauty of like what the tools that you gain, knowing that like I can be knocked down a million and one times, and I absolutely know a way to get up, um, you know, and, and feeling that in so many ways, like that should probably be something that just comes from character building in life, but it just seems so specific to this identity, to this culture, to this experience, um, and so. Being black, it, it means everything. It means absolutely everything to me in like a million and one ways.
0: And my bad, I didn't even ask you this. So like, you identify as Afro-Latina, right?
2: I, if you ask me what I am, the first thing I will say is black. Okay. The problem is that people I've learned have a really limited conceptualization of what black means, specifically in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and like really don't see and understand and acknowledge that it is an international identity that has been an international identity for forever, mm-hmm. you know? And so in considering that, um, I think I always, I'm like, I'm black and it's always well, what kind, or, you know, what are yeah, you yeah. mixed with what you got, you know? And yeah. So,
0: yeah. I'm a bit, yeah. I've done that before. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's, it's And it's, you know, it's, I don't fault people because it's just, it happens so often that I, I do feel that at some point you can't blame everybody for everything they've been taught because we've been heavily programmed and like mm-hmm. that just doesn't seem like a big win. Um, but so I feel like when I, when I know that anticipated follow up question of what kind, I yeah. do the Afro Latin, Afro Latino or Afro Latinx and really what I feel I'm saying with that is just like further identifying a culture or further identifying a language because I am also an Afro Latina that comes from the Caribbean, which is different.
0: Mm. Wait, wait. So, so, so Afro Latina, like, just so the definition. So, for Afro Latina means that both of your parents are Spanish, right? And you identify with your African American roots, or like you.
2: No. So it your both of your parents can't. So this is also this is the thing about jargon and like language and how we use it, right? Because if you're Spanish, you're really just from Spain. And we are just people who, we're black people speaking Spanish because that is how the colonial history laid ahead of us, you know? And so that is just what happened. Um, But a lot of Afro-Latino people are, some are African American and then some level of Spanish speaking identity. Most people that I know that identify as Afro-Latino or Afro-Latina are Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dominican, panamanian belizean like mm-hmm. spaces that are already known to be like black or brown spanish-speaking spaces predominantly um and so afro-latinx is really just an identification of like there
1: is african ancestry here within my bloodline yeah, not okay. something that can be negated i got you i got you all right Like as I think about how much I know about jargon and and language, I even, uh, Felicia was earlier, explaining to me the difference between Hispanic and uh, Latinx and how we like put that together and it's it's not actually supposed to be together. So thank you for that. Um, And I also wanted to say too, to add on to what you were talking about, about um, blackness being um, beautiful, I guess, and and, when I'm thinking about what does it mean to be black, um, the first thing that's coming to mind is roses in the concrete, right? Um, it is It is beauty in such a way that um, comes from pain. And I think I resonate that with that very deeply um, because I grew up um, in such a white area yeah. that it felt so lonely. Um, and I had to continually, either whether it was from my parents being really intentional about telling me who I was and telling me my history, uh, like like you said, Brian, um, or just being intentional about speaking life into myself, like the actual thought of being, cultivating yourself in an environment that was not meant for you to grow. Like that's what, that's what I keep thinking about when I think of blackness and- um, yeah. Black to me encapsulates like both sides like I you can't in in my mind it's complicated right like it is both (laughs) terror but also beauty in in a way that this world doesn't really understand Mm -hmm. you know they don't know what to do with us Um, and so I think about what that affords us I think of it as like power right Um, the fact that we have a clarity like James Baldwin talks about the uh, clarity um and W.B. Du Bois talks about this double consciousness that we are having because of our blackness because we can see beyond a veil um into both the lives of white folk and also understanding where we fit in that um and so that's what when i'm thinking of blackness like i'm i'm really and i'm i'm keep saying um really cuz when you start doing PhD work around trying to explain these things, like it gets real deep. I won't even put you through that. But like, we're, I'm thinking about this all the time. What does it really mean? And what does that mean for, like, what does that mean for our kids as we're bringing up a new generation, like that we want to have a better life than um, than the one we have now? So I'm, I'm just continuing to think about that.
3: Yeah. Yes, ma'am.
4: Just
1: go
0: agree with both.
4: <laughs> um, so um i guess candace like i like that bar that you had about you know trying to cultivate you said something to, trying to cultivate a uh, rose
1: <laughs> to or, cultivate life <laughs> in, in mm-hmm.
4: an environment that's not meant for you in an area mm-hmm. that's not meant for you to really survive so mm-hmm. i really love that um so i guess the next question that i have for you all is really just around your experience. So just being not only Black, but also being a woman. There are some things that you all experience that a lot of people will never understand, will never comprehend. So um, speaking about you all's backgrounds and where you come from, what are just some micro micro traumas that you all have had? Just, you know, whether it be your childhood, whether it be just on a day-to-day basis, like what are just some micro traumas that you all, may have to endure and how have you been able to really just navigate through those um situations
3: yeah i'm thinking about it because i do have the privilege of being light-skinned and i have so so that in itself like the microaggressions that i've experienced have personally not been again this is not the oppression olympics right but it has not been as traumatic as what I know it may have been for people who have darker skin than I do. Um,
0: facts. Big, big facts. Yes.
3: And so, like, I know that that is a privilege um, that I that I carry. Um, and but I mean, I, I've experienced things, but I don't think any of them have been specific to being this, like the the <laughs> how do I put this. Um, the mainstream media identification of black. I remember there was one time um, I was trying to babysit somebody, uh, someone's kid in Indiana. And so then at first they were like, I don't like your hair. And I'm like, uh, okay. And so then the mom was just like, oh, it's okay. Her hair was just long, you know. Not everyone cut their hair. Next day I came back and I gave him, you know, some, I made him some chocolate milk. And he's like, how'd your skin get to be that color? And I'm like, I drink a lot of chocolate milk. And then he put it down. I was like, can I have water? And I'm just like, I'm not even that dark. So, like, where are you getting this from? You are not even in pre-K. Like, what is it that's feeding you? So then why did your mother even hire me if she's the one feeding this into you? Like, what influences have you been? Have you just internalized that because there is an otherness automatically there? Um, You know, or just even, again, in Indiana, being, like, South Jackson, it was – rarely ever busy. But this day it was busy trying to ride a bike that was way too big for me. And (laughs) so there's oncoming traffic and then there's a pickup truck behind me with a whole bunch of Confederate flags around it and just shouting out racial slurs of all kinds and then trying to run me into oncoming traffic. And then the other person had grace enough to just stop so that I can ease my way onto the sidewalk that's on the other side. while He like threw some stuff out of his window. Mm. as he like drove away shouting those racial slurs so like i have been through some things but i know that i've been privileged in the way that it hasn't i haven't experienced it the way that other people who identify as black as well have, have experienced it just mm. because of colorism
0: that's a big thing like i think just the fact that you are self-aware of that like speaks volumes because some people are just like no nah, i am like we're all black it's all part of like but people really do see color, like. The outside is what people will always see first. And that don't matter what we're talking about. You can be talking about relationships or just judgment in general. What you see is how people are gonna judge you. Unfortunately, that is the case. And what societal norms have created in the United States is that darker is looked, you know, down on. And it's not as great as being lighter. That's why they have like this light skin, long hair, green eyes It's supposed to be like the woman that everybody is aspiring to be. Yeah. Which is a myth, like which is complete bullshit. But what I'm trying to say is I get where you're coming from.
2: Absolutely, when I think about like I feel like the most prevalent micro trauma has been like this idea around citizenship to the different communities I'm a part of mm-hmm. and so like where I grew up, you were either African American or you were white, and I'm clearly like, I know I'm not white,
3: yeah, so
2: yeah. and my mom is darker than me, and so I'm like, "Oh, you know, my stepfather is African American." my sister looks like me. Oh, we're black. Duh. Like, okay, we just speak Spanish. Like, don't know how that happened, but that is who we are. <laughs> and then I get to, it wasn't until high school where there were Spanish speaking, there was a Spanish speaking population, but like Central Americans, South Americans. Um, and it's, there are a lot of differences culturally, a lot. And even more so what's more staunch is like the difference aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and so like thinking about like citizenship in the community that spoke Spanish, and in this Black community that I had just naturally always been like, I this is this is who I'm a part of, this is where I belong. Yeah. So knowing that like the am I the times were like I'm not Black enough. You know, like for some reason it was something, my hair looked a little different that day. When I slick it down, it was a little different than my home. Mm -hmm. She used black gel and I used Eco Styler. So it was like, (laughs) oh, I put mousse in my hair. She's like, what the hell is that supposed to do? You know, so like in those moments, I'm not black enough. But I remember being in high school, literally running to the bathroom between every single class to wet my hair so that it would be long again. So they would stop asking me if I cut it in school or why my hair got so short and dry? Why did it become this? And just knowing like that it just, it just didn't seem to, nothing about me seemed to fit mm-hmm. in either group perfectly. There was always the moment where I felt like I was an outsider and, and knowing how unsettling that felt because I don't know how to reconcile that isolation. I don't know what to do or how to be to not, you know, to, to, to satisfy whatever the expectation in this moment is. And also, unfortunately, feeling like those moments of isolation were very intentional by those doing it to me, that it was a choice, that all of a sudden it was like, I was Black for too long in the conversation, so now we're going to cut it off. Or I, I was I'm I was Spanish, but, like, now it's, it's getting a yeah, little yeah. weird because why is this Spanish girl listening to Soka music? What is that? You know, like, so just all of these... To me, the biggest micro trauma was just like citizenship. Like where, because being Afro-Latina, being that specific kind of black, not being African-American and yeah. knowing that that was the only kind of black I grew up understanding, just really feeling like, not without, but almost like with too much. Like there's, there isn't enough space on this page for me to put this all in. I, they won't let me check all the boxes, you know, and, and just like, grappling with that, that's, that feels, it's not the only, you know, only one, but that one felt the most prevalent. Like it had the biggest impact on me.
1: Like I felt that really deeply. I just want you to know. Um, Thank you. I felt that um, because I feel of isolation is real. Um, and I might not have that uh, experience, but I had that experience um, as a black girl, like I said, in a white space, you know, and it's funny cause I, I, for the people who can't see me on the podcast, um, you know, I'm chocolate skin. I might not be super, super dark, but I'm, I'm brown. You can't, if you, you won't be able to see otherwise. You, you won't guess anything else. I look black, um, with dreads and glasses. Um, and, um, I was like this. I, I had gotten dressed when I was 11, I think. Um, so it's actually been a lot, a part of my, my identity. Um, and, I bring that out because I I didn't even, when I was preparing for this podcast, I didn't even write this down. But um, I think when I was thinking about the moments where I began to feel at least okay with what I look like, it it came with my lock journey. Um, Otherwise, I just didn't know what to do with myself. Like the microaggression or the micro traumas that I felt probably had to do with all the times I felt wrong in a space. Just whether when I was around my friends, you know, like girls, you know, us girls, we like, when we have friends, we like to challenge each other's clothes, you know, like you switch, you switch jeans. I could never do that with my friends, you know, like they never really had the same shape as me. My hips was too wide and, and, you know, I was starting to, you know, develop in different ways. And like, I was not thin enough because the, the ideal of beauty was the thin white girl. Uh, with with long straight hair, right? And I remember so many times. Um, I actually like looked back on like some of my journals. I, I used to journal a lot, um, and like every other page was the narrative of me talking about some boy who didn't like me, mm-hmm. like some boy who did mm-hmm. not, um, you know, who literally would verbally say, like one kid. I remember we was on the bus um and he was like pakistani or something like that and you know like it's only a few of us caramel people anyway so you know we we was kind of close and uh, i remember talking to him you know standing on the, uh, on the back and he had told me he was like you know you i like you but i couldn't really get with a black girl you know um it just it just wouldn't be It just wouldn't be right i don't know and i and i remember asking why and i'm i'm maybe like 14 like 13 14 i don't really understand why right i just know there's a boy we vibe i think he likes me he just told me i was not acceptable to like not that he didn't have a like for me but i was not acceptable to like Mm. um and i think the hardest part about those kind of experiences because there was one after the other after the other um, was the fact that we we still remained in relationship. Like, we still remained f- friends, if you want to call that. Like, and so I remember so many relationships that I had where I knew that people did not value me. They did not see me. They did not see that I was beautiful. They did not see, like, what I had to offer, and yet we were still in relationship with each other. They still benefited from me. They still got my friendship they still got my relationship and as i think about it i'm like what could that have done to like 10 year old me 12 year old me uh 13 year old me? (laughs) you know that's trying to figure out who they are as a woman wanting to be cute wanting to be liked um in a space where like i've been rejected by black men i've been rejected by white men i have been rejected by just everybody everybody knew that they wanted to be with someone other than a black girl and if it was a black girl, it was a light-skinned black girl that could pass as white, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was never me. And yeah. I think that was more.
0: Yo, that's, that's a really powerful story. And I can really just, like, empathize with you on that and sympathize uh, just because that's kind of how my walk of life was, too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, growing up, I was one, and I said this before in another podcast, but I was also one of six black people in my school like Alabama is where I'm from. So, you know, last one of the last states to desegregate. Um, I was only like one of six black people at my school and I remember like not like hating that I was black but just not appreciating it or like almost being like shameful to be black just because there were no other black people at the school and like all the white girls, you know, I'm trying to you know I'm I'm still a kid. Like I'm trying to highlight females. I'm trying to pick up like I'm trying to touch a titty for the first time like everybody else trying to do. And so I would try to act the same way that the other white kids did, but I would not get the same response. It'd be like, almost like a disgust response or like a, you know, better response, like you're black. Why would you even think that this would work? And like, I remember getting so bad to the point, like, that I didn't even look at it as like anything wrong. It was just like, kind of understood. Like I was literally being fucked in the head, like going through middle school, high school is when I finally made the change, but I remember just feeling like, okay. Well, if she doesn't want him, then maybe there's a chance that she'll want me. But I was never the first choice. Like, and it's because and uh, you know, you could blame it on not having a father in the household, whatever you want to blame it on, but that shit is real. That's a tra- that's traumatizing right there. And sometimes you don't even realize it until you realize it, and then it hits you at once and you're like, What the fuck happened? Like, what why did I ever let that happen? You start asking yourself all these questions. Like, so I totally get what it's like. And I remember uh one thing that that messed me up the most was um a black girl came to my school for the first time or whatever. She was not attractive. I was not attracted to her at all. But I remember like all the white people in the school were trying to set me up with this black girl just because she was black and I was black. And I ain't, I ain't gonna lie to you, I ain't never been in so many situations where we were alone than before she came to the school. Like it was like they would set it up for us to talk. We have like some alone time in the lunchroom. We had some alone time at PE. And I'm like, I don't even know where all this alone time came from. But it was just like, at that point, I was like, nah, I'm good. Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. So that almost put me off of black women because they were trying to force it so hard. Like, luckily, like, as I told Brian, my mom, you know, she kind of brought me back around. But no, I totally get that. And I appreciate all of y'all sharing. That was some really heartfelt shit. I love where this is going. So I do want to bring you on to the next question. So the next question that I have for y'all is, um, as a woman of color, what privileges or disadvantages do you feel are associated with skin complexion? And then I guess ask yourself or, or, or tell me if you think this is because of skin color or it's because of your nationality.
2: I, I was thinking about this. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like my privilege and my disadvantage are the same.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, or at least the one that stands out most to me. And for me, it is like being fetishized or eroticized by others everyone being hyper sexually attracted and so i think that's something that comes with being lighter skin and with being uh, an afro latina comes like this extreme hypersexualization. like there is sexy is just put on me like it is it is feedback i've been given in the classroom and it's like like literally like oh something about you just feels really sexy oh because i love othello yeah like i don't know why i feel so sexy other than i know how to teach and make this shit sexy but like i'm not shaking titties like i'm at work dress everything covered. you know like so it's just it'll be mind-blowing to me like that or even like in the moments like going to do laundry and like really coming out the house intentionally looking a hot mess. And like, mm-hmm. I know that we all want to throw Drake lines, but I don't look the prettiest with no makeup <laughs> on. And- <laughs> I don't. It's just, Sometimes it's really not the cutest look. Natural is every day. My natural don't always work. And so it's like, <laughs> you can't tell me you're talking to me because I'm really the sexiest right now. It's just this natural assumption of like, there is something sexual about me. And so knowing that that has often been a privilege, like that would often get me through the door, get me to a conversation is someone betting on if I do this, there's some type of sexual transaction about to happen, but then immediately becomes a disadvantage because I'm not doing that. And I really feel that I have the tools and the qualifications that merit, whatever it is I'm going for looking to attain. And so it's like the second that I decide and make it very clear that there is nothing to be gained sexually, the privilege has gone out the window. Like it is no longer there. It is being reneged and it's not on the table. And so for me, that is, it's always been like, I always think about like pretty politics of like, yes, it is a privilege to be seen as attractive, especially like this mainstream, socially acceptable, attractive. But knowing that that coupled with already being a woman and knowing quite often what our value is equated to, that is just doubling it. And it really feels like it takes away from whatever it is I bring to the table as a person. And it just just makes me some object and it just becomes this constant reminder of like, as a woman, men have access to my body. As a black person, Mm -hmm. everybody got access to my body and feeling like this just constantly, this privilege becomes a disadvantage that just always makes me feel like very exposed very vulnerable no one's ever like looking at me for the right reason um so like for me that definitely feels like what it is for me
3: right and going off of that it's like you said that it can get you through the door but even your qualifications are still like your qualifications could get you even beyond that and i think that's what it is it's like it can get you through the door but because of the identity the intersectionality that we hold it's like they're automatically going to stop you as soon as you get through the door Right. It's like, and then no matter how much that you do, and we've been talking about like nepotism and versus meritocracy, like, so no matter how much you merit, unless if it's another person who is not denying their blackness, they're going to be the one to like, I'm on the, I'm I'm on the come up. So like, I'm going to bring you up with me because I see that you earn it. I see that you want it. And it's not just nepotism. And it's not just, you know, something that, okay, so I've earned this, but yeah, I'm still in the same place just because you see me as my work is just in my body. My work is just in my face value. So all I can be is at the front desk, you know? Um, And I think something else that it is that that reminds me of is Bell Hooks. She talks about the mind, body, and the public private divide and how as black women, we do not have the privilege of having the body be public or our mind be public, but the space in which we exist is, the body in the private, and not necessarily our mind in the public. Or, but if our body is in the public, it is, I mean, you know, out there for criticism. It's out there for, okay, so how can I emulate this, but then make it sexy because I put it on a light person. Um, and then another thing that I think about is how, and we, I know we had this conversation about black men, but it also happens to black women that a teacher can throw a black young girl, girl across the room. And then they automatically want to call her a young black woman. And she should have known better. She shouldn't have spoken back. And then we start having expectations about like, Oh wait, you should have been more mature at some point in this process. Like your growth has to be at an exponentially quick, you know, it has to happen sooner than, you know, someone else's who gets to, Go outside and play in the playground with their water gun and not be shot, mm-hmm. you know. And and so I think it's just the expectations that are put there. Like you have to be mature, or you have to look a certain type of way, and you have to exist in a certain type of way, talk in a certain type of way. This is what you're limited to, and this is when you have to have it by.
0: God damn it, Felicia, you're going off. Yeah, remind me, bro. We got to get a soundboard, bro, because she has some. Damn, I'm not Joe Button, bro, but. I would have hit the gunshot. I would have hit the fucking little airport on a couple of them moments. Girl, Yo, you was going in just now. Love this shit. She got, Candice?
1: Well, I mean, I, I want to jump off of that, because remember our conversation, um, especially when we're talking about, like, who is afforded protection and who is not afforded protection, mm-hmm. right? Because we have to remember, like, in our country, it's it's um, it's created to basically... Make the white woman the the pristine, the protected, that which per, um, represents what is most pure and most feminine, right? And so, when I think about the question, when you ask the question like, what privileges or disadvantages the skin color, um, like that are associated with skin complexion, anything that's closer to a white woman mm-hmm. with protection, right? And so, I think about like even in the um in the example of like the young black girls, like. Um, in classes that police can literally throw across the room and we could see video over and over again of different black girls doing that It's almost as if the darker skin the baby The more she is no longer a baby. She is she right. no longer afforded what is protected She is no longer cute and innocent, but instead she is a woman instead. She is acting fast instead. She is being Like basically adultify like a 12 year old is an adult, right? um and we do that. I think we also do that in our communities um, across the skin privilege. And so when I think about, um, like, what does what does light skin versus dark skin allow you to do? Um, I, I think it, it gives access. Like, light skin can give you access, makes you feel makes people feel comfortable and i'm comfortable black. Yeah. It makes white people let your guard feel
0: down feel safe so to right. Speak, right like
1: who are the acceptable black person if we're gonna have a diversity board at least it'll be a light-skinned black person so i feel good about you know we have the black representation only one though mm. but like right like, <laughs> what's that one <laughs> on the board but that's it Right, and so when you think about um, when I'm thinking about like what privileges are coming up, like I think about the fact that pretty in our society equals light skin, like, mm-hmm. and um, like I don't know, you guys seen uh the Nina the new Nina Simone movie? Oh, it was always Alana. Okay, I'm not gonna lie, I was <laughs> of the camp that was upset. I'm gonna be real, <laughs> be real, real serious. Um, but here's why I was upset. Right. Um, one, they got they got sis with some blackface on. I don't understand why they had her makeup so so not even smooth. Like we don't even do makeup like that, right? Like who was your makeup artist? First of all, like a white woman. we can literally we can literally see your face. You look like you're in um blackface. It's not her fault, you know, it's just the makeup artist's fault. I'm not gonna I'm gonna go in there. I I'm not bringing down a black woman. But I think it's a problem, right? Because she was representing Nina Simone, a woman who has outwardly talked about being dark-skinned. That was part of her struggle. Like, seeing the actual, like, documentary of Nina Simone and seeing this movie, like, you're just like, how in the world do we have a light-skinned Black woman playing this very dark-skinned like extremely like powerful black woman like it's almost like the media was not ready like america was not ready to see a dark-skinned woman in that in that role and so i'm just i'm upset it upset me because it seemed disrespectful to the legacy that was nina simone who got up there and who was a activist who who literally fought like to be seen, like when they did not want her to be seen as a classical artist, like as somewhere where she would have been around a whole lot of white folks, they didn't like her anyway, because of her skin. Anyway, so the very fact that we can't even see a dark skinned black woman on the stage in this light, you know, I, I think, like, I thank God for Lupita, um, how do you say it, young girl or um, deny like Gira, like, because, they have been seen and shown in the light that it's like dark skinned black women are beautiful, you know. Um, and it, the narrative is changing, but it's not, is not changed yet, right? Like, it's not, yeah.
0: yet. not by landslide, yeah. Um, so, so,
1: mm-hmm.
3: like being in the industry, like, I'm an actress, producer, and a director. So, like being in that, it comes to having more <laughs> it comes to having more of our people in the writing room. It comes to more having more of our people in the directors chair, in the producing chair in the casting eight, like in the casting offices, and it's like, okay, you've been told so much that this is not the space for you, so it's like it's your time to claim it now now that everyone's like you know, all of these white people are filled with y'all, you know, like, do we, I mean, use it. You know, like, you, like you use this time, use this space, you know, and yes, it's unfortunate that that's what it's coming out of, but look at the thing that's going to come out of it. You know? Um,
0: We're going to go ahead and take a pause right here, just because this is a lot of good information. We want to try to consume everything that's been talked about. These women have been dropping gems. I hope y'all been picking them up.
4: Yeah, like a lot of stuff was, talked about a lot of information was covered um just very insightful conversation yeah thank you most definitely
0: so we're gonna take a pause right here but we definitely gonna be back y'all stay tuned